you. We'll be going to 1 Peter chapter 1 for our message this morning, verses 1 through 9. But before we get there, kind of a way of introduction. Uh, the, uh, the title of the message in the, as put in the bulletin, Born Again to a Living Hope, which is actually right out of the verse that we're going to look at this morning. But I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, Phil Wickham. Uh, Christian singer and artist, writer of songs and Christian songs. He has a song called Living Hope. And uh, it was one that got stuck in my thinking uh, the last week. And, and so I, I thought I would share a little bit of the song to you. I'm not singing it, by the way. Uh, in, in verse, though. Uh, it goes, How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke Your name into the night. Then through the darkness, Your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And I thought just that phrase, the work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And then it goes on in another part of the, the concluding of another verse. It says, Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And then there's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And then it goes, Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. And then again, it's... There is salvation in Your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, You are my living hope. So it's, it's quite a, 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 a poetic uh, song as, as it goes through it. It just, uh, like I said, it's stuck in my mind. And uh, sometimes you, 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 you wonder maybe where the pastor gets his ideas for his sermons or something. There's, they come from lots of places. Uh, but uh, today we're looking at First uh, Peter chapter one verses one through nine, and I'd like to read the verses as we start. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dis- uh, dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Berithina. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested uh, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold and, and that perishes, 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not know, now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is unexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Would you join me in prayer as we begin to... Father, we thank You that we can come to Your Word. We thank You that You have given us Your Word that we might know You better, know who You are, and, and to be able to see the, the awesomeness of, of, of who You are and what You've done for us and, and then see how You would have us live for You. And we especially look at the, the passage this morning and we think of this idea of living hope. And we ask that You would strengthen that in all of us. That we might walk stronger, have more confidence in, in our faith, and just to be closer to You and to each other. In Jesus' name, Amen. The first three ver- two verses, Peter writing to the Christians in what is modern-day Turkey and in, in that vicinity of area today, and, and I'm not going to spend time there as much as beginning looking at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just that alone is, is the idea. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ being used as, as the full name of Christ. The Lord you know, is telling us that He is the sovereign ruler, master, uh, you might recall we did a, a, a series of, of looking at the idea of being, we've gone from being a slave to sin and Satan to being, and people don't like to hear it this way, a slave to Christ. But all through Scripture we talk about the idea of Him as Lord and Master. And He, he has ownership over us. And so that makes us slaves to Him. And do we serve Him the way we should in this type of thing? So, He is our sovereign ruler master. And, and then the word Jesus is, is clearly the one who saves us. The Savior. And then the Messiah, the Christ. And so, the full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the, we, as we celebrate this, we're saying, according to His great mercy... He has caused us to be born again. I'm going to stop there for a moment. The idea of being born again is that point where you come and confess Jesus Christ is your Lord. You accept Him as the one that God raised from the dead to save mankind, to bring deliverance to us. For all who would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is the Christ, they will be saved. And so we have this picture of blessed be the God of Father, Lord Jesus Christ, whose great mercy has caused us to be born again. And I even look at that idea that has caused us to be born again. It's taking away all of the part of us. Oh, I bring something to Christ. Or I, you know, it's God reaching down. It's not us deciding, oh, okay, you know, it's God pursuing us. Reaching us, pulling us to Him, opening the door to us. He has caused us to be born again. 
And then it says to a living hope, which is what I really want to focus on today. The idea of, of having a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And right off we have this picture where, where Peter includes the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the midst of, of what we're writing. So there's so much theology, if you will, going on here as we look at it. God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ has brought mercy to bring us about to be born again to a living hope. And it's been done through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We could spend weeks going through just those verses. In fact, I, 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 some pastors, that you, how many are familiar with like John MacArthur and, and a few others like that, you'll see them pull out and, and take as they go through these books and, and exegetical messages through the season, will pull out and, and sometimes they won't get through a verse because there's so much there. But I was thinking as we were starting this new year, as a, a message, the last message of the year, entering into the, the beginning of the new year, uh, is to be thinking about the fact that we have been born again to a living hope. Everyone who has accepted Christ as their Savior, we have a living hope. And I thought interesting to look at uh, is if we have a living hope, there must be, in a sense, an opposite to that. And that's a dying or dead hope. What would that be? <laughs> well, it would be just about anything that doesn't rest in the other camp. In other words, all the hopes and aspirations that we have that come with day-to-day -day living. And I, and I want to make sure that I make this clear. I'm not saying they're wrong or, or they're sinful or anything like that. But I, what I'm saying is they have no lasting power. Day to day, oh, I hope I get this job. I've gone to college to train for this. And all of the things that you, you might go through uh, to hope that you can have this or to do that. I hope my retirement's enough to get me through. <laughs> uh, and, and we have all of these different things that we hope for and work for and strive for. Uh, we have hope for our children. We have hope for our grandchildren. Uh, some of us have uh, lived long enough to see, you know, hope for great grandchildren. And we, we look at all of this and we say to ourselves, these are the hopes of this world. And with that comes the responsibilities that God gives us that you go through and understand from the Scripture and how we act in all of those situations. But the reality is, is that there's something even, there, there, there's something beyond that. And normally we think in terms of saying, well, I have eternal life. But my eternal life is resting in a living hope. So, as I look at this, first off, just to celebrate the one thing that comes with the idea of a living hope is, number one, Jesus is alive. Matthew 28 and going on, to, you know, uh, talks about the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that he's alive, and that he will, he says he will be with us once in a while. Yeah, you know, I, he will be with us always. An amazing picture. The 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 one who brings a living hope has brought us to the point where we can say, born again and resting in a living hope, 
is going to be with us always. Jesus Christ is alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaks of uh, a way that Paul looks at, at, our, at our hopes and, and, and at all. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as uh, first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and He appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then all the apostles. Last of all, uh, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. And so, Paul lets us know Jesus is alive. He has appeared. And he says, to more than 500 people. And somebody will say, how important is that? Well, Paul says very clearly here, most of whom were what? Still alive. In other words, you need some references? I can give them to you. Uh, We've got uh, people who have seen the living Savior, the resurrected living Savior. And by the way, all the scriptures that you put together about our resurrected Savior is that it is a bodily resurrection. And, and, and Thomas touched him. He, Jesus ate with them. Uh, so, uh, that picture of, 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 of a powerful, powerful death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, The, again, now I wrote it down here, the, the witnesses that he has. And what, what Paul would draw our attention to again would be that what a sad faith, what, what a sad position we would be in, if you go on in, in, in 1 Corinthians, if this were not true. I am amazed I, you'd think I would I, I would come to a point where I could accept the fact that there are churches that wear the name church of and and and, and the name Christian and the, or or Christ and they speak of the Bible that do not believe in a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. In some cases, they, I had one pastor. I know I've shared this with you before, who shared with me. He says, "Well, what we preach is the fact that 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 the the teachings of Jesus were resurrected." where's the hope in that? I will tell you, there's no living hope in that. And for them, and what he was teaching and what his his church was learning was that the Bible is a good source of of good living and and how to treat one another. But he didn't look at it as uh, a, a... picture of the living hope of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, missing all of that, uh, and then accepting another part of it was that everybody goes to heaven. The reality is, is that God says that 
Those who confess Jesus Christ come in the flesh, raised from the dead. And in every context of what the Scripture talks about, a physical bodily resurrection. That's what it takes to have a personal relationship with Christ. In this personal relationship with Christ, we are blessed. It says in, in, in verse 4 that I read uh, here out of First uh, Peter chapter 1, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we are blessed to an inheritance. We have an inheritance. Romans chapter 8 talks about our inheritance a little bit. And I'd like to share a little of that with you. Verse 12 it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit, and by the way, in, in my copy here, it's, it's, the Spirit is capitalized, and I believe that's appropriate, referring to the Holy Spirit. You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are, uh, who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, heirs, heirs of, of, of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. What a powerful thought to, to contemplate. All that Christ has inherited, we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and share in that. That does not, it should amaze you. It should cause you to, to sense, uh, in a sense of awe of who God is and what He's done and what He's invited us and pulled us into. Not you know, born again meaning that we'll have eternal life and, and somebody would say it'd be enough to be on the outskirts of heaven. But that we've been drawn into the holy of holies to sit with Christ as joint heirs. What an amazing thing God has done for us. We have an inheritance. Uh the same chapter uh of Romans chapter eight, uh Paul also says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In other words, we have this, but not because of our... We're, we're conquerors, but not because of us, but because of Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. We are at peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have, as a result, an inheritance. Eternal life, yes, and so much more. It says... In, in chapter four of, of, of first, or in chapter one of First Peter, in verse four, it says that this inheritance is imperishable. It means it can't. You know, well, I'll get to it in a second. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Okay, imperishable is the idea. 
when you think of something that's perishable, and I think of, of, of fruits, you know, this type of thing, uh, where they start to get soft and, and, and draw gnats and different types of things like that. That's imperishable. This, has, this draws nothing unclean. This draws nothing of decay. This, it's, it's, it has permanence. It's fixed. It will never deteriorate. And again, it defies our thinking because everything in our life has a beginning and it has an end. It has a, a starting point and a finish point. Whether it's a plant, a life, it, it doesn't matter. Everything, and we're going to a point where there is no... It doesn't, it doesn't rot. It's imperishable. And it's undefiled, meaning that it hasn't been touched by anything corrupt. And I look at it and I think, wait a minute. And I, I look down at my body and I know that my body is corrupt. But then I realize, uh, you know, I, I, will, I will have a new body that is also imperishable and will be no corruption. So as I enter in, I don't bring a taint of, 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 of anything with me. It, there's no defilement. Heaven is a holy place. It's pure. And we are a part of that. So we look at our, our, our eternal life and we can kind of look at it in, in a present tense and a future point where it is complete. And unfading, means, it just means exactly what it says. Unfading means it's color fast if you wanted to have a reverse of that. How many of us are familiar with things that fade? You know, if you set a, a, a beautiful tapestry uh, in, a, in a place where it gets a lot of sunlight, it's going to fade. Uh, you know, this type of thing. And, and it's, it's, there's none of that. So what we're basically saying is all the things that we see in a fallen world, that things that perish, things that are defiled because of sin, things that are fade, fading because of, of a, a fallen nature, fallen man, fallen world, None of that exists in this inheritance that we have. It is pure, clean, permanent. I don't know how else to say it, but color fast. <laughs> Meaning that it, it's, 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 it, it will be... All the beauty that we hear about in the book of Revelation, about heaven, it will be that way forever. And notice where our inheritance is kept. It's kept in heaven for you. Now, I have this inheritance is, is promised to me. So I can rest with a confidence. I have this inheritance. But I need to understand that it's being held for me in its completeness in heaven. And one might say, well, why... Does God hold it in heaven? Well, He's holding it secure for us. So these words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, stay true. Kept in heaven for you, who, referring to you, us, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation. 
God is guarding us. As we confess in the faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God guards us. And what He's guarding us through, and we have to understand, is that he is, He's guarding us through all the trials and tribulations of a fallen world. He will, he will be there for us in every instant, at every point. In fact, there isn't a point that He's not with us. I know you're familiar with the, the, the picture and the poem of, of the footprints in the sand. And the person complaining about, where were you, God, when I was... And he says, wait a minute, I was carrying you. <laughs> it's my footprints when you see only one set. We are being guarded. I had a whole side note to that. That would be a whole other sermon of, of how God takes care of us. But think about it. Just in your own life, can you think of, of an instance or a moment or a time where you know that it required God's hand. He was guarding you. I think of before I was saved, God was guarding me to save me. Uh, it's, it's so that we, at the right point in time, which is perfect in every way, God is never late. He doesn't come early either. He comes at the exact right Time. There's a lot of times that I have looked at and thought, where was God? Where is God? What, you know, how, how come He's tarrying? You know, just the right moment, time, everything happens. And so I look at all the times that He guarded me through uh, things that could have easily taken my life. In some cases, probably should have taken my life. And I realize that He's been with me before I ever loved him. In fact, it says that while I was, you know, while we were still in sin, he came. You know, he loved me before I loved him. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I want to read it all in one full context there. and Because it's this idea of, of a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so I was looking at this. How do I explain this? Because I'm saved. Don't I already have my salvation? Yes. But then Paul says, work out your salvation. Present tense going you know, ahead. I am saved. Past tense. I am being saved. Present. <laughs> and it says, and in a sense, it will be completed. And so I wrote down, saved, being saved, and will be saved. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a process. But God promises that it will be completed. Nothing will intervene. God says He will complete this. Nothing on earth will separate us from His love. So, verse 6 gets to the point where you would say something most appropriate. In this you rejoice. 
And I okay, and what is the this? <laughs> you rejoice. It's all that we've just discussed. In this we rejoice. We have an inheritance where God's chosen and, and we have a living hope. In this we rejoice. His great mercy, being born again, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Rejoice. Even though we have trials and tribulations, we still rejoice. And it's so contrary to the way we think. Paul writes to the Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that peace is the reality of resting in the salvation and the, and the confession of faith that we give forth in Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die and what I just quoted a moment ago but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us we rejoice in our trials and tribulations I don't know how many of you rejoice in your trials and tribulations I stumble there it's hard to 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 rejoice in the midst of something that is grieving or brings suffering or sadness or health issues. But we rejoice. Our trials bring about a genuine faith. A faith that has driven you to rest in Christ. This faith that we have, Peter says, after, you know, in the, in the sense, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Gold that perishes, you know, and in comparison, gold is, in a sense, worthless compared to what God has blessed us with in this living hope of eternal life as we rest in Jesus Christ. And so in the worst of our, 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 our situations, we rejoice and say, God is with me. I know this is true. And I also look at the idea of gold as, as you know, one of the most valuable things. And somebody will say, oh, there's, a, there's other things that are more valuable than gold. I recall one was something that my uncle mined called uridium. And uh, it was an ounce of it was around $1,000 in the early 70s. Yeah. And so we look at, you know, we say, wow, you know, that's, you know, there's something more valuable than gold. But the idea of gold was the standard that, that even today most things look at. If, if I could just have enough gold or value of gold, in my resources, in my retirement, in the bank account, whatever. What God has given us, this living hope that He's given us, 
it's more precious than gold. And then you start to think about the things that we hold precious. Gold, silver, massive pearls, uh, and, and, and just different things that you can think of. And you realize those are the building materials of heaven. We paved the streets with gold. Now somebody says, is that literal? It doesn't matter. The idea was to put us into the understanding that gold's value in heaven is, is, is not there. It's a building material. We walk on it. And there's nobody with jackhammers digging it up. The idea is, is that you know, gold is, is just a, a item. It's the living hope that God has put forth that He has completed in Christ at a point in time through the second coming of Jesus Christ that we have completed and that we enjoy and that we rest in. Rejoice, even though we have trials. Uh, our, our faith is more precious than gold. As a result, at the coming of Jesus Christ, there will be praise and glory and honor. And I put here out of Philippians chapter 2, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Peter says, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. I haven't physically seen Jesus. And for a period of time in my life, I couldn't see how anybody would want to love Him. <laughs> you know, I could acknowledge, before I was a Christian, I could acknowledge that Jesus Christ was a good man. But I couldn't come past that. And now I look at it and I, and I say, I am in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what He has done for me. I rejoice in my salvation and the living hope that He has given me. You know, see, hope, everything we hope for on earth has, like I said, an end to it. The living hope has no end to it. It's eternal. You haven't seen Him, but you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with inexpressible joy filled with glory. And I put it here again. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You know, this idea of, of rejoicing and, 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 and being in awe of who Christ is and who God is and what He's done for us. Verse 9 says that as we are dealing with this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, we obtain the outcome of your faith. There is a conclusion to all of this, but it's not a finite conclusion because it's resting in this living hope. It is an eternal relationship. The salvation of our souls. There is a, we are, like I said, we have, we have been saved if you have confessed Christ as your Savior. We are working out our salvation and yet it will be completed at a point in time in, in, in unannounced to us. 
And we rest with confidence in that. That is our living hope. And again, it's not a wishy-washy type of thing. It's I know that I know that I know. And so I want to encourage you as we begin this, this year together uh, as a family of, 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 of believers uh, that we approach it with a confidence. Encouraging one another uh, that I know that Jesus Christ is the, the, the Lord, the, the Master, the Savior. He is all that, that Peter says He is here. And that He has provided for us through our salvation a living hope that we can rest in. Day to day, moment to moment, it's always there. It can't be manipulated. It can't be tainted because it's of Christ and the holiness of Christ. And it reminds me, too, that you know, how important it is that I remember that to be in the presence of God, it has to come with this idea, be ye holy for I am holy. Leviticus, God, you know, Moses writes that. I must be holy because God is holy. And I can't get there because I'm living in fallen flesh. I'm a fallen man. I am tainted. I am perishable. All the things that are not in that living hope uh, are in me. But through Jesus Christ, who paid the price for my sin, as I confess Him, I become holy through Him. That's mind-boggling. It's just mind-boggling. I put here, resulting in obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Starting the year with assurance of salvation. We celebrate every Sunday communion. And there's a full picture here in communion of what we've been talking about. The bread represents the flesh of Christ. And so often we just we we in our minds possibly limit it to the idea of the cross. Jesus hanging in the flesh on the cross. But it really begins with the picture He emptied Himself and became flesh. Literally in the womb. That's what the bread represents. The fullness of who Christ is. His whole entire bodily life is represented by the bread. Not just an instance or a moment. And so when we come to communion, we're celebrating the, 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 not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we are celebrating the emptying of Christ and coming in the flesh and living as a man. We even sang a, a couple of songs this morning that would give us that picture of Him growing. Having to learn to what? Walk. Having to learn to what? Talk. You know, all of these things. He, he, he was an an awesome student, it was clear. But he still had to grow. He had to learn. He went through all the stages of life. And then he went through death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. And so when we say that the blood is, is represented in the cup, 
He says, poured out to purchase the covenant of life. Where our living hope rests. It's represented there in communion. I'd ask the ushers to come forward, the worship team to return, and we can pass out the emblems. Hold them until we've all been served.